Why are Freddo's so expensive? It's a great question because it relates directly to the cost of living, which is really high, which is an election issue. So um, I, mean, I know who wrote this as well, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say her name. I'd say I have a fair idea. <laughs> <laughs> I can just about guess. And welcome to Girls With Goals, I'm Neve Marr. So some of you have been getting in touch over the last few weeks and requesting a special on the election. And that is what we're giving you today. So on February 8th, the country will go to the polls to vote in a general election. Although we don't specifically focus on politics on this show, fair to say it does affect every single aspect of our lives, the money in our pockets, whether or not we can afford to rent or God forbid buy a property and whether or not we can return to work after having children. So it would be naive of us to not be informed when a new government is coming into power. So it's important that we talk about it. So a little bit later on, the CEO of Women for Election will be coming on the show. But first, I'm joined by Joe's head of politics, Ellen Coyne. Ellen, thank you so much for coming on. No problem at all. Totally happy to. Yeah, delighted to have you. So um, we basically put out a call and we've got a lot of questions in from listeners of the show. So we're going to get to them a little bit later on. Sure. Some of them are to do with politics. Some of them are not to do with <laughs> politics. So... We'll take them all. Um, firstly, I kind of want to talk to you about how you're finding the campaign as a journalist. So you've been busy, very late nights, early mornings. How do you find it? Yeah, I guess like we're all absolutely haggard and wrecked, but it is kind of like the apex of what every journalist wants to cover because it's the time when all the politicians have to leave the bubble, as it's called, of Leinster House, go to every single corner of the country and basically beg people to let them have their job back mm -hmm. um, and it's the best and most like democratically fair time because regardless of what journalists think is important if there's an issue that the public thinks is important it will force its way to the top of the general election agenda whether or not politicians or the media expects it. We would have seen that very early on at the start of the campaign when crime emerged. Mm. Um, there was a lot of anger about pensions as well. And any like political expert who was trying to plan the election wouldn't have seen that happening. So it's fantastic because it's totally unexpected. It's completely driven by the public. And um, it basically is like a big national job interview for politicians. It's interesting that you say, you know, that it's kind of driven by the public. When when I'm watching the politicians and they're out and about on the trail, what I find interesting is that there's so many issues that's facing the country at the moment, but still people, when they see politicians, want to get selfies with them, want to talk to them about their kids and everything like this. But there is like, it's like celebrities as well. You know, yeah. people get really excited when they see them and sometimes they're not pushed for the tough questions. Are you finding that a little bit? And then all of a sudden they'll turn, like you said on your podcast, State of Us, well, I'm definitely not voting for Fine Gael, but I 100% want a selfie with the Taoiseach. Exactly, yeah. And I think uh, particularly with the Taoiseach or maybe someone like Simon Coveney, um, election, like they spend a lot of their time in Dublin. So elections might be the first time that somebody from maybe Roscommon or a different part of the country might meet Leo Varadkar in mm. real life. And I think, yeah, like Irish people um, can, you know, if they want to get a selfie with the Taoiseach, that's fine. But I also think like it would be really stupid for politicians to assume that that means that they're popular <laughs> or that people want to vote for them. Um, and I think also as well, like the good thing, one of the things that I really love about Irish people is when you're following politicians around, 
every single day on the campaign trail, someone will come up to them and basically tell them that they don't like them. Mm. But I think that the Irish electorate does it largely in quite a like fair and almost like polite way. Yeah. Um, they're really like, Irish voters are really sharp. They're really intelligent. Um, they don't have a problem going up to Leo Varadkar and saying, I don't like this, this and this. Would you mind like considering it? Rather than maybe in the UK where you'd see a lot of people like roaring and screaming at politicians yeah. or like trying to throw drinks on them and stuff. So... That's the fun of the election as well. Nobody can plan what's going to happen when you put the Taoiseach in a shopping centre in Dublin or down in a mart in Fermoy. Um, it's all based on how the public feel. And a lot of the time, because a lot of us are based in Dublin, we might not know if there's a massive amount of anger out there or if there's a massive amount of admiration for a certain politician. Um, and this elections are the only way that you find out. Absolutely. In terms of uh, the public and kind of gauging their reaction. I think that, you know, in terms of the state of the country at the moment, distrust is something that I've found is coming up quite a lot when I'm speaking to people who wouldn't necessarily know a huge amount of politics. Um, they're confused about the differences between what the party's policies are in particular. So, for example, if we were to look at the main parties, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael have been in power, obviously, for, for nine years. Um, what I'm seeing a lot on the campaign trail is, is the excuses that are coming out in terms of, well, we spent the first six years trying to sort out the mess that ye left. So if people are, say, confused on the policies of these two particular parties, what would be the main differences? So with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, you'll hear people a lot saying that there isn't much of a difference yes. between them. Both of them would be uh, kind of centre parties, mainly like centre-right, although Fianna Fáil would claim it's centre-left. Um, it basically means that... Um, up until very, fairly recently, they wouldn't have been that progressive on social issues. You would have seen with marriage equality in the Eighth Amendment, mm. it was party up on the left that kind of dragged them forward. They'd be very pro-business. Uh, Fine Gael are really kind of courting a middle-class vote. So maybe if you know, if you have a friend in Dublin who has like a really high-paid job, mm. Fine Gael wouldn't want them to pay a lot of taxes. It's kind of this thing of, you would have heard Leo Radker before talking about people who get up early in the morning, yeah. wanting to reward like individualism and people who work hard. Fianna Fáil would claim that they try to do more maybe for like poorer farmers but um, a lot of the other parties would tell you there's not a lot between them. Thankfully in Ireland at the moment we don't actually have a popular party to the right of yeah. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, but we have a lot on the left and I think particularly for young people who can tend to be a bit more left wing that can be a little bit confusing when it's hard to know you know is it better to vote for Sinn Féin, people for profit, Labour, Social Democrats but I guess like you would probably hear it a lot. I find it frustrating when women our age talk mm. about how they don't understand politics yeah. or politics is for them. Everybody understands politics. If you have people watching this programme who know that their rent is too high, that's political. Everything If is. you have people who know that like their grandparents are waiting too long on trolleys, that's political. Mm. And I really would encourage people not to see politics as like this kind of protected structure that normal people can't understand or engage with. At this point, every single party is going to have stuff on their website that anybody can read to try to figure out um, if they're the right person to vote for. And also use Twitter, use Instagram, like yeah. direct message them, contact them. If you have any questions and you want to figure it out, they're like... 
they're applying for a job from you. And if you like matched with someone on Tinder and he seemed amazing and was promising you like the sun, moon, stars, you'd be a little bit skeptical. Mm -hmm. Like take the same approach with politicians. They're trying to court you. You are just as entitled as anybody else to ask them questions. You're just as entitled as anybody else to get them to validate um, the reason why you should give them your vote. Don't be embarrassed if there's stuff that you don't understand. Their whole job is supposed to communicate in a normal, accessible way. Um, and I think turnout among young Irish people is still way too low. Yeah. And if people just engage a little bit more with the process, it genuinely could change the country. Because the thing is, like what you're saying, it's dead on. But I, I, I think from the point of view of people who say that they're disinterested in yeah. politics, I think that comes from a point of essentially, you know, the word auction politics yes. gets thrown around and the fact that there's so many promises. And realistically, when you look at some of the parties that have been in power, you know, this is the time when the promises come out. But Fine Gael, for example, have not made good on a huge amount of their election promises before. So, I mean, sometimes that turns people off. So 100%. like going to a website and like reading the policies is all well and good. But I think it's it is about thinking about how it's going to really affect you. So like I was talking to a friend there the other day and, and he was basically saying he was like, I just want to be able to rent in Dublin and be able to save at the same time. That at the moment is pretty much incomprehensible for most people. So going then, like, I mean, would your advice be, OK, well, go and look at the parties that are like properly going to attack that, but are going to attack it in a way that you could probably see results sooner rather than later, because people actually just want results. We want it to change because, I mean, everybody's employed in the country. We should essentially be in a boom economy, but we're not. We're all struggling. So, I mean, I think in terms of politics being that big, scary thing that people don't necessarily want to talk about, it is because the country have, like, well, the politicians have effed up a huge amount oh, yeah. in the last couple of decades. So I don't blame them for being a little bit dubious about it. Um, but I suppose kind of moving forward from that, you know, especially our audience, they're very, very in tune with climate change at the moment. They really want to see issues that might improve the health system. In terms of like those big key issues, what party do you think are 100% nailing that at the moment or would you even say any of them are with the big issues first? With the big issues so like climate change is a really good example yeah. because what you just said there politicians know they know that young people are really stressed about it there's mm. a huge amount of anxiety so every single person who comes to your door looking for your vote is going to claim that their party is the best on climate change we've moved past the point where it was just the Green Party but I guess you need to look at things like Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, when they talk about climate change, they'll use the phrase just transition a mm -hmm. lot. What that basically means is they wouldn't bring anything in too soon that would like piss off farmers because that's yeah. a huge amount of their vote. But the awkward thing about Ireland is <clears throat> um, agriculture can be very damaging to the yeah. climate. Um, you'll also see uh, like people like the Green Party promising to kind of move to a point where we're not using any carbon e energy at all. Mm. But that kind of does mean that a lot of people in rural Ireland would lose their jobs. So it is actually quite difficult to discern who would be best. A lot of local communities will have climate activists now who might have been involved in Extinction Rebellion or the youth climate strikes. Yeah. It's good to kind of follow those pages on Twitter and Facebook because they'll be really good at parsing through all these political promises and figuring out who's actually telling the truth. What you mentioned there about housing is another excellent point, especially mm. for young people. We're all really stressed out about it. If a politician comes to your door 
and offers you something that sounds too good to be true, there's a chance it could be. Both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are basically claiming that if you're saving for a mortgage, they would be able to give you, uh, t like, they're going to give people tens of thousands of euros. So this is the thing. This is what's interesting to me. So, like, I mean, rent freeze is being thrown around, SSA yeah. schemes, which are going to be capped, is being thrown around as well by Fianna Fáil. Fine Gael are saying... Um, uh, about income tax yeah. and, and getting like thousands back. It all sounds absolutely delightful. Um, is it is it doable? What do you think is the one that could potentially actually solve the issue that young people are facing with housing? So the biggest, the, there's a big row at the moment with this idea of having a rent freeze. Yes. So it means that if you're renting... Constitutional or... Exactly. Yeah. Well, the thing about legal opinions is that you can get any legal opinion you want to support your position. So if people are talking about constitutional and unconstitutional, like, don't mind that. Okay. <laughs> the focus of it is um, the idea that Sinn Féin had was to cap rents uh, for three years because they're saying that they're just getting out of control mm. and obviously people watching know that. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are saying that that would be a problem because it would turn off uh, builders and stop the supply of new housing, which means we could have a situation where there's even more people in Dublin trying to compete for the same number of properties. So it wouldn't actually make things better. What all the parties are promising to do is try to increase the supply of housing, but just be conscious that Governments have been promising that forever. Yeah, it's kind of the standard. It's standard to go to. Yeah. Yeah, like sometimes, basically, to demystify it. Sometimes, what I do is, like, political journalists are not geniuses for sure. If there's a policy that comes out that sounds really good or really excellent, literally just put in the name of the policy. So like Fine Gael helped to buy. Mm. You'll get a ton of articles. There's tons of experts who are always commissioned to write pieces for uh, newspapers kind of parsing through these. Sometimes they might be hidden in like the business section that people might not go near. But that's what I use to try to figure out what questions to ask politicians when I do interviews with them. The information is all out there and I think don't be afraid. If something sounds really scary or they're talking about interest rates or you know rates of mortgages or blah 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 blah. it's supposed to be digestible and easy someone out there will have written a piece don't be afraid to spend some time before the eighth before you sit down to vote spend a little time googling just pick three or four policies that apply specifically to you um do a bit of searching and see what other people out there are saying about them and yeah. try to make up your own mind and don't be afraid as well to put in the name of politicians running in your area if you were really passionate about repeal go back and check how they voted yeah. uh, in the referendum if they voted to allow a referendum in the first place if you have questions get in touch with them and ask like Everybody's going to be courting you with absolutely crazy promises. Every election since the history of time has included promises that the politicians have made that they have then not fulfilled yeah. when they've gotten into power. Mm. Um, and I think you're spot on as well about people being, I guess, a bit jaded. Yeah. Because I think for young people in particular, um, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are not that popular between people aged 18 to 34. And I know it would really piss me off if I was listening to political journalists talking about how it's definitely going to be either Fianna Fáil or either Fine Gael. I know that that could make you feel like, what's the point in voting if neither of those parties are for you? But it really can make a difference. Like our parliament is quite small. The numbers are really tight. Yeah. Nobody is going to have enough to have a majority government. If you're really passionate about climate change and you want to elect a left-wing party that could go in with Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael and basically dilute them and make them more climate friendly, that can really make a difference. And young people traditionally are always the ones who vote less. Yeah. So 
there's no point complaining if you haven't gone out to vote. Exactly, that's the thing. And because it's such a small government as well, like every vote does count. I know you hear that as well all the time, but it really does ring true with this one. Um, how important do you think the likability factor of these politicians are? Because um, if we were to look like a couple of weeks ago when, when Varadkar and Micheál Martin went head to head, you know, I think that... Uh, Leo Varadkar did really well at trying to bring it back to the future as opposed to focusing on the past. But of course, you know, it's a debate. So Michal Martin will always talk about what they haven't done, what Fine Gael haven't done. But um, he, he gets a tough time of it in the media in terms of the fact that he appears quite wooden, that he doesn't have a nice personality. And also, I think he mentioned that like eight or nine times himself in that, yeah. in that actual first debate that I watched. And I feel like how much of that is a factor when it comes to the power card, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, isn't it so gassed that a politician would even say that? He said it so many times. Like, I'm not popular with people. Like, surely that's like, like, like number one. Like, I always kind of <laughs> Liked them. To, I was like, "You're grand." Like, yeah. Have, stop self-deprecating. It's like when you see people self-deprecating on Instagram. You're just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. "Quit it," because nobody would have noticed that your hair looked a bit mad or something unless you had said it yourself. Yeah. So like, he seems I think, to be yeah. doing that. Do you think that that's kind of a tactic? On, oh, on for his? sure. Yeah. Like you can tell when someone's talking if it's something that's been pre-prepared before. And that line that he said, it was something like, "I do care, but maybe I'm not as good at saying it as my opponent he is." Said that, yeah. Like that was very obviously something that he had been prepared to say um, because I guess when Leo Radker goes around the country some people do feel that while he's super telegenic he's really impressive in debates in person maybe he's not able to do that plumosy thing that mm. other politicians do of like shaking your hand like scooping up little babies painting walls like whatever um, <laughs> it's like some people just aren't good at that I know yeah. that I personally would not be good at that but the fact that that matters the fact that he said it shows that it matters a ton yeah. Like if it really was just about your competency, how good you are at legislating, then like we wouldn't have TV debates at all. Yeah. But the fact that they exist shows that image matters, the way that you talk matters, the way that you engage matters. Like you need to make people feel important and you do need to be able to do that kind of like you need to it's like being a celebrity it's like performing yeah um and i think now in particular when you see so many politicians using instagram mm. when they're communicating directly through like videos that they make and stuff it is very image focused like people used to say that politics was showbiz for ugly people but now that everything's gone kind of more media focused it's showbiz for people who are just I guess slightly less attractive than normal celebrities, <laughs> but there's definitely like a huge image thing to it. I'd say a few politicians would be like, Ellen! I know, I know. <laughs> I am like, so attractive. <laughs> there are, like, there, there's a smattering, but uh, yeah, like it's it's super image focused. It's yeah. super image focused. Like that's, that's all the politics is. We base a lot of it on what we see and how a person makes us feel when they arrive at the door. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, like, like, you know, Fianna Fáil will target that because for sure. it's a weak point. So they're like, you want this guy up there leading the country and oh, he can't yeah. even hold a baby. They say that he's like image obsessed. They say that Fine Gael is very shallow, that it's all about media spin. Yeah. Every single party is about media spin. Yeah. Um, that's what keeps people like me in, in a job, basically. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it is, I guess it is unfortunate that it is so that it is so image based. Like if it was policy based, I think the doll would look very different. There'd yeah. be a lot of different people in there. I think it's interesting as well, um, across the campaign so far, there's been a lot of talk of, of history, do you yeah. know? Like it feels very much like 
people are pushing for a change and uh, it's come up a lot in the debates about the history, especially when it comes to Sinn Féin. You know, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are very, very clear. You know, they would just throw it in there like, I'm very happy to go into government, you know, with my, my colleagues, my independents, definitely not Sinn Féin. You know, it's just there, always there. I know you interviewed Mary Lou MacDonald as well. Um, in terms of the history, is that something you know, that people still need to be really, really aware of? Or do you think, like, Leo Radker keeps saying, like, we need to be grown-ups about this, we need to be grown-ups about this. But, I mean, you know, it's going to be 100 years on next year. And I feel like, have we not moved on yet from kind of basing our our decisions on what we're doing with the country now in history? Like, personally, I think the fact that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have decided that Sinn Féin shouldn't be allowed to be in government at all, I think some people could argue that that's a little bit unfair, particularly when you consider Sinn Féin is at about 30% between people aged 18 to 34. Then that is an opinion poll that could change on the day. Yeah, of course. But I mean, that's kind of, I think, you know, you could argue that's kind of disrespectful to young voters. Yeah. And obviously Sinn Féin are very connected with, um, you know, the Irish Republican movement. The party was basically formed as the political wing of the IRA and people will throw them at throw that at them a lot. You would have seen since the water charges movement, Sinn Féin has kind of moved towards like stealing the votes of socialist parties as well, rebranding itself as also being like a super progressive left-wing party that wants to like put big taxes on bankers. Um, but the history thing still comes up, like the civil war thing, the fact that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael were on different sides a hundred years ago still comes up. It's yeah. still like a primal tribal thing. And I think for younger people, like, you know, we have people voting now in this election who were born after the Good Friday Agreement. So their memory of what happened in Northern Ireland is completely based on, like, his history. Yeah. Um, and because of Brexit, a lot of people are talking about whether or not in the next few years we might have a vote on whether or not Northern Ireland would become part of Ireland. Yeah. Um, so that means that that history thing is going to come up a lot. And the fact that that conversation about a united Ireland is happening, as you said, ahead of that centenary, that's going to come up yeah. a lot again. And I think for young people, that's quite disengaging. Mm. Like it, it turns people off a little bit. And I think it would be unfortunate if we got into those kind of like primal arguments when we've watched the kind of debate that played out in the UK. Yeah. And to get back to a tribal thing of Fianna Fáil versus Fine Gael, I think would be really exasperating for young voters to watch. It comes back to being informed as well, you know? I mean, like, obviously our history is, is very crucial. Yeah, of course. And obviously we need to to know about it, but in terms of the decisions that we're making, because this, this is the time for the public. Like you said, this is the opportunity that we get to actually question who is, who is leading us. So, I mean, it's important, and if that does come up or if it's affecting you in any way, like you said earlier, just kind of go and read the policies and see where the, all the parties are at now and don't think about necessarily what was happening 100 years ago. But keep it in your mind because it's important. <laughs> um, okay, I suppose we'll get to a few questions now. Um, we got, uh, these were sent in on Instagram. So one was, who to vote for? So confused and a question mark. Again, like we can't really tell you who to vote for, but what no. would you say? What would you say? I suppose we've talked about Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin quite a bit in terms of the main parties. People don't have to vote for the, the main parties. Like, so, I mean, if people have absolutely no idea who to vote for, it should probably be more issue-led rather than For sure, party. rather than personalities. Yeah. Or, you know, if you, if you can't think of a local TD that you absolutely love and you really want to see in power, maybe what I would advise that person to do, sit down and write a list of either three things or five things that really matter to them and that they really want to change. 
and then just start searching. Like we're kind of hoping to have uh, something out that will kind of explain the manifestos better on Joe.e where Amazing. people can compare housing and climate change. But if we haven't mentioned an issue yet that matters to that person, um, just go searching. And again, like just call the politicians or email them or send them a direct message. Like be selfish because older voters are always selfish and yeah. they always get the representation that they want largely. Um, younger people need to be more selfish. Um, just make that list, figure out what you want, exactly the kind of political party that you would like um, and, and vote for them. And don't get too disenchanted if the party that you want, if it's very clear that they're not going to end up in government because of the way that our dole is structured, because the government doesn't have a majority that means that it won't be able to do whatever it's want, whatever it wants. The opposition also has a lot of power. Mm. So if you get a TD elected to the Dáil who's very strong on an issue, there's loads of scope for them to legislate. They can pass what's called a private members bill, which mm. might be supported by the government. So don't get disenchanted if you figure out who you want to vote for and it's very clear that their party is not going to be in power. Like every single vote matters. Um, and also don't let anybody else tell you who to vote for. Well, this is the thing. I think we have a, we have a terrible thing in this country of voting for what our parents voted for. For sure. And I like when I was younger, I was a little bit guilty of that myself, <laughs> I have to say. But like I've heard a few people say, oh, I'm just going to ask my parents like who they vote. That's like the wrong thing. No offense to your parents. Yeah. Don't ask your parents. No, don't ask your parents. Don't do that. We all have to take responsibility as well. Yeah, and I mean, young people, our issues are completely different yeah. to the older generation. Absolutely. Um, and just just find parties that are find parties that are wooing you. Yeah, and also that doesn't just mean wooing you at your train station when you're trying to catch the dart in to work because absolutely, I can't, like, in all fairness, if somebody will knock on my door, I will talk to them. But canvassers in the morning, like, I don't have time to talk to you. Just sit and down so, and be so like, so tell me everything about your policy. That doesn't work. So yeah. like Ellen said as well, you know, like call them up, find out more about it. It's the issues that are affecting you. So I hope that helped your question a little bit. Um, what about pensions? Pushing it out year on year makes it hard for people at risk of poverty. This is something that came up and I think it's something that is really affecting people that are our age now as well because I remember there was this advertisement that was out a few years ago and it always stuck with me. It was like there was all these flashes of toys. It was uh, Tamagotchis and those FX Bauer rollerblades. Do you remember those? And it yeah. was like, if you played with these, you need a pension. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, fuck, I was like, I don't have a pension. But I mean, it is, it's one of those things that uh, a lot of people are struggling with. Yeah. And actually it goes across the entire age bracket. It's oh, not for just sure. for people our age, it's for young people. And it's also for older people now as well. So I mean, is there any party that you think is really kind of um, concentrating on, on the pension issue more than others? It's a really good example of how um, public anger forced them to change because Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael would have gone into the election kind of vague on this issue yeah. until they realised how pissed off people were. So Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are now um, kind of fixing their policies and trying to offer something better. Um, have a look at that. Um, if you, if it, re, you like, do think of the future. I mean, it's hard if you're like a 22 year old voter to think about the fact that, you know, your pension or yeah. what's going to happen to you when you're 65. But we have an aging population. It is kind of like a ticking time bomb. Have a look at Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Sinn Féin and try to spot who changed their policy after the public got mad. And that might be able to help you figure out 
who this was a more serious issue to before the election oh, was called. such a good <laughs> tip. I love that. Um, another one that we got in, it's quite a short one, any chance of a gaffe, question mark? Um, obviously, this is about... Good question, uh, yeah. Great, great question. And this is about uh, housing. So I suppose, as opposed to thinking of rent, which is yeah. pretty much what the predominantly most working people in Dublin at the moment are renting. Um, any chance of a gaffe? Obviously, there was a while there when people, and it's still happening now, are moving home with their yeah. parents in order to save. I mean, what would your advice be on that? I mean, I, I bought a house a, a good few years ago and I bought it a really good time, but I feel like for now I would tell people not don't buy anything right now. Just wait until this whole situation gets sorted out. But I suppose in terms of who to vote for when it comes to that, they're all tackling it, really, aren't they? I mean, they're all oh, yeah. they're all saying that they're tackling it. For, like this is where the auction politics yes. thing is really coming in. So Fianna Fáil has a scheme where if that person who texts in for every three euro that they save for a mortgage, a Fianna Fáil government would give them another euro towards sorry for a deposit. Fianna Fáil government would give them another euro, and I think. Um, it would be capped at a certain level. So yeah. I know if it was like me and my partner, if we saved 15 grand each, a Fianna Fáil government, we'd have 30 grand and a Fianna Fáil government would give us another 10. So we'd be able to afford a deposit for a 400,000 euro house. So what Fianna Gael are saying the issue with that is, is that people can't save at all. Exactly. Isn't that what yeah. it is? So it's basically like, that's great if you have 15 grand in your back pocket, but a lot of people don't, which is a fair point as well. Yeah. And the other problem is that would only apply, that would apply to all houses, including um, secondhand houses, ones that have been built already. Right. And the worry is that that means that um, people selling houses would see that, just add the 10 grand that that they know the person will get from the government onto the price. Both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are also going to expand a scheme called Help to Buy, yeah. which means that more money would be given to people. Now, that's super appealing if you're like in your late 20s, early 30s, and you're really struggling to save. Um, and if you want to vote for that, like 100% do. I know it's hard to think about during an election, but some of these things can have really bad knock-on consequences on the economy as well. Um, and when you're looking at Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in particular, they are literally promising billions, yeah. like billions of euro. Um, it's They're all kind of going on a bit of a spending spree to try to coax people in. Absolutely, like vote for who's going to help you get a house sooner, but also be aware, particularly after what happened in our very recent history, mm. parties who are promising loads and loads of spending, that is also like short term politics. Yeah. But there there are like, if you go onto Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael's social media, they have little diagrams right. where they have like case studies. So, you know, Tom and Julie earn X amount, blah, blah, blah. And it'll show you exactly there on a grid how much you would get under the current system, how much you would get under the system, yeah. system that's proposed. Have a look at that and then see if voting for those parties matches your views on other issues yeah. as well. Like, I w just want to be clear, nobody is going to do research for the election and find the perfect party, no, the one that course. matches them. Yeah. I, so it is about a compromise on the part of the voters as well. And I also think it's a little bit of responsibility as well. I feel like sometimes because our country is so small, there is this level of pressure. So there's a huge amount of pressure on people to own houses at the moment. Like it's part of the dream of what we were all brought up yeah, with. So right. like you find someone, you, you move in, you rent for a little while and then you buy a house and then you've got the garden and the kids and all that kind of stuff as well. I mean, like look at other economies around the world, like look at New York. There's not a single soul in New York who wants to buy, do you know? So I mean, I'm not saying that like we shouldn't be in a place where we should be able to buy. I'm just saying that, you know, 
don't let that pressure of like any chance of a gaff. Oh, that question sure. is such yeah. an interesting question because so many people are like, well, I'm 30 odd years of age. Like I'll never own a house as well. Just don't like be determined by what politicians are going to promise you because this is not going to be sorted out in March. Yeah. And like, Do you know what I mean? Think about like the people who live in Dublin, like there's lots of people who work here um, as young professionals who might not want, always want to be here. And with the big companies like Facebook and Google we have here, I think there should actually be more from politicians about long-term renting. Yeah. So you'll find um, parties like Labour and the Greens really want to have what they call secure renting, yeah. where you would have a tendency that might be like five or ten years if that's what you so want. So it's rent control. Like they, exactly. they, they, they do it in the States as well. Yeah, I mean, it brings a certain amount of security. Security and you're able to plan your life and maybe you don't want to buy a deposit, especially in a housing market that can be as unpredictable as Ireland's. Um, where you don't know what will happen with Brexit if prices could drop. Like, that's what I'd say to that person as well. Um, when Brexit kind of kicks in, we don't know what the effect exactly, on Ireland will be. Yeah. And the house, house prices are going down at the moment. So regardless or not of whether this election means the government gives you like loads of money to buy a house, definitely wait and see if prices are going to continue to go down and stabilise. And as you said, like, don't buy into the pressure no. of needing to have a house by X age or Absolutely. whatever. I do think that the, what's important and what I'll be looking for anyway, and it's funny because I am a landlord, <laughs> But I do think that the market obviously favours landlords at the moment. So I will be looking for that to be evening out. And so that the renters, because even though I'm a landlord, most of my friends are renters and the, the fear that they have in terms of the fact that the landlord can come and in four weeks you have to Anytime. leave. Do you know, yeah. like it's it's just, it's really, really shocking. So uh, a great question. And yeah, of course, just go and kind of learn everything. And then finally, it has nothing to do with politics. Why are Freddo's so expensive? It's a great question because it relates directly to the cost of living, which is really high, which is an election issue. So, um, I, mean, I know who wrote this as well, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say her name. I'd say I have a fair idea. <laughs> <laughs> I can just about guess. But yeah, it's right. Like, I mean, I haven't, I haven't spotted it in any of the manifestos, and it's obviously a black mark against me as a professional because I haven't asked any of the political leaders about it. Well, I'm sure you're going to be interviewing find more. Your get that person to find their local TD, drop them a message, or if uh, she wants to do it publicly, she could always tweet them and see who responds. Right. Like, why not make them cooperate in a survey? I think Like, so. be selfish. Be selfish. <clears throat> Absolutely. He or she. Uh, the, sure. The sure. Freddo <laughs> connoisseur. We know who you are. Um, Ellen Coyne, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank we, you so we much. We really appreciate it. So State of Us Election 2020 is the weekly show that's released across the Joe channels. You can also check out all of Ellen's interviews with political leaders over on the Joe YouTube page. I really recommend that you do. They're incredible. They taught me a lot. So thank you so much for coming no in. Problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we are back. Thank you so much to Alan Coyne, head of politics with Joe, for coming on the show. So this election, for the first time in history that we know of, a woman has been is up for election rather in every constituency. So uh, a pretty historic thing to happen. So I'm joined now in studio by CEO of Women for Election, Kirin Debouche. Kirin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Of course. So I mean. Obviously, what I just said there, it's incredible. You, you said just before we started recording that it is, as far as we know, because records can be a little bit shady in this country, um, but a good thing, a positive thing. It, it is positive, and, and it is very welcome that there is, for the first time, a woman running in every constituency, and, and that is a significant move forward, and that is a very low bar. Yes. where we're saying there will be at least one woman running in a constituency. I know, and this is and the thing, And there are a yeah. couple of constituencies where there are only one, where there is 
only one woman running, which must be a very lonely place to be on the ballot paper if you're the only woman running. Yeah. Uh, and then there are others which are much more balanced. Yeah. And women for election would be hoping uh, very much in the future, you know, our vision is that it will be a balanced political system. And to get that, we need more women running. We're striving for more. And I suppose, although, and, you know, obviously we're a media organisation and the media, of course, spin that as a very positive story. But like you said, it's a low bar to be very proud of, but it is the first time. So I suppose we have to consider it in steps as well. But kind of going back to women for election before we get into this general election, um, when was it set up? And I suppose the name is pretty self-explanatory, um, but you're striving for balance in politics. So tell us a little bit about the organisation. Well, women for election came about in 2012. Um, Neve and Michelle, Neve Gallagher and Michelle O'Donnell Keating, who would have set up the organisation, had been working elsewhere and had been going around the country meeting groups of women. And one of the things that they really noticed was these were women who were active in their local communities. They were on the Tidy Towns Committee, they were on the board of their school, they were involved, engaged, very active. But they weren't, they didn't see themselves as political or they didn't see themselves as being for politics. Saying like two very focused, very practical women mm. um, said, right, well, what can we do? Um, so they came up with the idea of running this group that would train and support women to run for election. So what we do is we train and we support women. We equip them with the skills. Quite often women actually already have those skills. It's more to, to highlight that and to give practical tips around campaigning and how to run for election, how to get elected. Yeah. Uh, so we do that on a non-partisan basis. We work with all parties and none. So we would work with uh, women who are non-party or independent, as well as those coming from the parties. Our sole aim is to see more women elected, mm -hmm. whether that's in the Dáil, in the Shannad, in local councils, or in the European Parliament, or in different organisations, our, our sole aim is to see more women elected because we're not a minority group. You know, we're, we're more than half the population. We're less than one quarter of our elected politicians. Uh, we were speaking earlier with Ellen Coyne. She said something interesting about young people in general in this country being slightly, um, you know, disinterested in politics and feeling like the word itself is, is, is very separate to what they're dealing with on their, you know, in their day-to-day yeah. -day life. But the fact is, is that politics is, is everything. It's, it's a fabric of, of our entire society. Politics is our day-to-day -day life. Exactly. So, I mean... Why do you feel, I suppose, starting it in 2012, why is it so gendered? Why are women not going into politics in the way that men are drawn to it? I mean, is it a legacy issue? Like, why, why do you think we're at the point where we're celebrating one woman in every constituency? Well, those of us who work in the area will often, often talk about the five C's. And these were uh, identified in the Batchik report a couple of years ago. And there are issues around confidence, around childcare, around cash, around culture and selection conventions mm. um, or candidate selection. So those would be the bigger barriers. But to me, it, confidence is the issue. Okay. Uh, part of our training, we would always invite elected politicians in to speak of their experience. And to the woman, they will all say they were asked to run. And usually they will, they will say they were asked to run more than once. Mm. Uh, some uh, women who've, you know, who've gone on to be elected, who've gone on to, to serve in cabinet, say when they were first asked when they went oh, oh, oh no mm. I, I wouldn't be able to do that and these are brilliant women 
um, you know, regardless of your political perspective, your political allegiances, these are really strong, able, skilled women uh, who felt, oh, oh, no, I wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, so confidence is a huge piece. And that's why it, it, it threads throughout all of our training and support. Uh, and we would have particular training then around tips to help you increase your confidence, but also to appear more confident. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that would be a huge barrier. And from what I can see, the parties aren't asking enough women. Um, because in, in this election, we not only have a woman running in every constituency, we're also breaking the 30% threshold, mm. uh, which is again for the first time. Yeah. Um, so more than just more than 30% of the candidates are women. And if you look at the parties, there's huge variations there. So some of the smaller parties are doing really well. Yeah. Yeah, the Social Democrats, more of their candidates are women than men. Um, and, and it reflects the population as in it, it's slightly over the 50%, yeah. um, which is the population there. And we shouldn't be saying this is brilliant. We should be saying, why are the, the larger parties just scraping over the 30%? Yeah. And I would suspect it, if the gender quota legislation was, wasn't there, they wouldn't be scraping over the 30%. I suppose we talked about the, the kind of seas there in terms of confidence being, being a major issue. Do you think that this is something that we should be targeting to a much, much younger audience? I mean, you know, when you, when you ask little boys and little girls what it is that they want to be when they grow up, I mean, I would say it's fairly safe to say that not a lot of them say politicians, boys or girls. Um, but at the same time, you know, is there a way that you think might be good to kind of bring politics to the younger generations so that more women are just interested in these aspects of, of life? Because like we said, you know, politics is not this unattainable thing. It affects every single yeah. aspect of our society. So, I mean, do we need to be hitting the primary schools? Like, what do you think about that? Well, I, I think if you look at the, the recent Young Scientist competition mm. and the results of the winning competition in that, in terms of how kids saw roles and professions and jobs and the, the genderization that was already there for kids at quite a young age. Now, for those who've, who've worked in, I, my previous job was uh, campaigning around early years mm. and I would have been pointing out that, look, at the very early years, from the time a baby is born, they're being told the importance of their gender, the impact of their yeah. gender how it affects what they can wear, because there's already the whole pink and blue thing. Yeah. So from, from the time babies are born, they're, they're defined as to their gender. They're gendered, yeah. And, and within that then, there's expectations around roles. Mm. Uh, so absolutely, we need to be going in earlier. Um, and it needs to be not just in relation to politics, but in relation to a whole pile of other jobs as well. Yeah. Um, because one of the things, uh, again, that you know we're always saying, you cannot be what you cannot see. Mm. But if you take the, the party leaders debate recently, yeah. um, you know, any kid looking at home at that would have seen three men on the stage. Yeah. Um, that needs to change. Definitely. And I mean, I think when I look back at my own education, for example, like we had, you know, civic, social, political education, CSP type thing. I'm not entirely sure of what, what it is now um, in secondary schools, but I, I do know that we were very much taught about voting and about the electorate and about, you know, the political parties and things like this. I don't ever really remember there being a section of like, you know, if you want to go into politics, this is what you might be doing or this yeah. is what your job would entail 
on a day-to-day basis. I do remember being brought in to Leinster House and like that as a young teenage girl, seeing a rake of men in suits and and literally like that was kind of my very early introduction to politics. So uh, definitely something around education that I think needs to happen because I mean, in terms of the gender balance in political life. You know, obviously this election uh, is very issue-led at the moment and women's issues in particular are something that people are incredibly passionate about. Of course, we saw that with um, the Eighth Amendment and and things like that. I mean, what would you say to women who want to get more involved in politics but who like that might be a little bit late to the game or maybe didn't go into it early on and don't really know how to get involved in it now. Well, that's what Women for Election are about. Um, You know, many of us grew up in political households and and you just, you imbibe it, you know how politics works. Yeah. The vast majority of the population don't. Yeah. um, And we will talk you through the basics of a campaign. We will talk you through the pre-campaign work. Mm. We will talk you through selection conventions. We will talk you through building your networks. Um, Women for election are are very aware that the the majority of the population don't know the ins and outs of Irish politics. Um, And that, in a way, is a good thing. Mm. Um, But we need people coming in who don't. Uh, We need people coming in who are new to politics because we need more women, but we need more women in all our diversity. Um, It's not just a simple case of more women of a particular um, party allegiance or a particular class background or a particular geography. We need more women. Um, And that means all of us. In terms of this election, uh, are there any candidates that you have worked with? Are there any kind of um, women who who are running in constituencies that maybe our audience wouldn't know about? Can you drop a few names for us? <laughs> well, women for election are non-partisan. So of it's, it's always a bit of a challenge yeah. on that one. But what I would say is women for election have on our website have a list of all of the women candidates running. Right. So what I would do is inc- rather than calling out one constituency and not the other, mm. um, I would say if you go onto our website mm. uh, and you click on the, the GE 2020, mm-hmm. you'll see a list of all of the women running across all the constituencies. And I'd also encourage people, um, women and men, to have a look, but also to see how you can help your candidate. Yeah. You know, give link in with them, give them a shout and see what can you do. If there's if there's a woman running who aligns with your political values, mm. see what you can do. It might be dropping leaflets, it might be canvassing, it might be just helping them out, giving a lift. Yeah. Uh, but see what you can do because we need to pay our part in this as well. The, the candidates have done their job. Mm. They've got on the ballot paper. Mm. It's up to us now to ensure that as many women are elected as possible. And this is one of the things that we were talking about earlier with Ellen as well, just in terms of people who are voting, who don't feel like they understand everything about what's happening because obviously on a day-to-day basis in an election, there's policies that are changing every day, new ones, new manifestos, it's all coming out. Um, But I suppose in terms of that and in terms of like for women in particular, it is really important to be informed and to learn about all of the candidates. And to ask your candidates, you know, if if they're not canvassing your door, ask them, get in contact with them and ask them about whatever the issue is that's important to you, Mm. whether it's a national policy issue or a local issue, ask your candidates um, because 
voting is a precious thing. Not everyone has the opportunity to do that. We need to make the most of it. You said there earlier that it was a privilege um, to, to be able to work in, in politics. And uh, I suppose all of these candidates are rolling around the country now, trying to get your vote. Uh, it's basically, you know, the hunt is on. Um, if you were imploring somebody to step into politics and they're fully confident and they, they think that they're going to smash it, but they're just not that turned on by the idea of what the job would be. Because honestly, politicians, we have the, the amazing celebratory pictures once all the votes are, are counted, but then they go in and it's a hard job and everybody's expecting things. Um, if you're trying to sell politics to some of our audience, what would you say are some of the benefits of, of getting into it? Well, look at the changes that have happened in our society over the past couple of years. Look at the changes even in, you know, the, the big changes in terms of we've had a referendum, mm. which of course was a people's vote, but the enabling legislation was from our, our politicians. Um, if you look at the legislative change that has happened, mm. if you look at the light that has been shone on particularly dark corners of our history, while that's not exclusively down to politicians, politicians have more than played their role in that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at the changes that have happened in our society, quite often politics, now for good and bad, mm. uh, but quite often politics and politicians have been behind that. We, for example, we would have had a, a social event towards the end of last year, mm. um, and we would have had one earlier in the autumn, and, and we would have a panel of politicians all of them speak with pride about what they have achieved. Yeah. All of them can point to something that would not have happened without me. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not a general blurby, oh, we make the world better. They can say that would not have happened without me. A yeah. specific piece of legislation or a specific amendment um, would not have happened without me. Yeah. And that, that's what politicians do. And, mm. and that's why we need more women in there. Uh, kind of just putting gender aside for a moment, um, what kind of personality traits would you say a politician needs? Because in this particular election, you know, obviously people are vying for the same job. So, you know, there's a little bit of mudslinging and, and people talk about people's personalities and essentially your whole life is 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 in the spotlight and you and you decide to, to do that. I would imagine thick skin is very crucial, but what are some traits that politicians really need to have in their back pocket? Well, I, I would say in general, because there are always exceptions. Of There's course. always somebody you can say, well, that, you know, that that category and they, they don't fit into it. Mm. But in general, you need to like people. Yeah. Um, because you're going out asking them for their vote. You're meeting a lot of people, but also you're meeting a lot of people while doing your job, mm. um, you need to be enjoying meeting people, not just I have to do this, but you need to enjoy it. Yeah. You need to be a good storyteller. Yeah. Uh, you need to be very clued in and linked in with your own community because mm -hmm. um, you need to know what's going on uh, and you need to be interested. Yeah. You know, this, this isn't a job that is going to bring you huge kudos on an international stage. Mm. This is a job that quite often people will just be giving out to you. I mean, <laughs> I, was, I was going to say, you probably need to be quite patient as well, because yeah. the thing is, you can have all the ideas in the world and really want to put them into action and get the support of your local communities who are like, well, this woman or this man really knows what could actually change for the better. That doesn't mean that it's going to happen 
straight away. So I would imagine patience is a virtue in some instances. And, and generally, the people you're meeting, you know, they're not coming to you because something is going really well. Yeah, <laughs> never. Um, so, you know, sometimes you can be meeting people who are in a very vulnerable position, mm. who uh, feel they've been very hard done by, who have been very hard done by at times, or for people who feel that their rights aren't being respected, mm. for people who see there needs to be a particular change. So you need to be able to, to I suppose, win your way through all of that um, and to build alliances and to work with others. Mm. Um, but I, I would say the key things are you, you need to like people and meeting people. Yeah. Um, you need to be involved, engaged and interested in your local community. And you need to have a bit of brass neck as well. I think um, it's interesting at the moment because I feel like with this election, we're seeing a lot of um, public discontent come to the fore. You know, I think people aren't trusting politicians at the moment because promises aren't being delivered. Uh, a lot of things are being thrown up from the past. Uh, you know, like Fianna Gael are saying to Fianna Fáil, well, we spent years sorting out your issues and we haven't even gotten around to our issues. There's massive things that are having serious effects on people on a day-to-day -day basis. There there are a lot of people who are just washing their hands of it and saying, well, look, it's been messed up so much. What would I possibly be able to do if I entered into it to try and even ch change the, the decades of, of things that have gone on in our government? So I suppose um, in terms of maintaining a positive attitude towards things like this, is there hope for getting a lot more women into politics? Are you finding that potentially because people are very distrustful at the moment, that maybe you're sensing a change in more people trying to get active? Or are you sensing that people are a bit like, look, he's made this, he's made this problem, we have to sort it out? No, I, I, I think that we have found that there's a, a whole swathe of women coming to us, engaging in our training who are new to politics, okay. who may have become involved in one of the referendum campaigns and mm. saw the difference they could make, or who may have been watching something from home and just said, right, that's it, I've had enough. Mm. Um, but almost always they're, they're women who are very new to politics okay. uh, and who want to see things change, right. whether it's on a national stage and, and these are the particular issues, or whether it's in their local community and they've seen there's no playground yeah. uh, and nobody can, you know, walk the buggy to a playground in their local yeah. area. So it's not the old school kind of family politics that we saw for generations of sons and brothers and, and everybody just kind of getting involved by because large, of, yeah. No, no that's no, great no, to see. One or two exceptions, yeah. but by and large, these are women who are new mm. and fresh to politics, who haven't, who haven't run before who don't have a family lineage going back generations, yeah. who are, are fresh and new to politics. Yeah. Probably takes a bit more work then as well, though, in order to kind of get your name on that ballot and to get yourself known in the community if you are yeah. so new to it. It does. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's, Hard it's an work. additional hurdle, Yeah. Um, but it's it's far from impossible. Yeah. Um, and it, at times it can be a real advantage. When, once you've got on the ticket, it can be a real advantage to be new as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and get the message out, well, well, I'm new, I am different, I have these new ideas 
and and this is how I, I'm going to do it. Yeah, well, obviously, there's there's lots work more to do in terms of like pushing those numbers up. And um, but hopefully we'll see a lot of women be elected in this in this election as well. Um, Kieran, you have a website so people who are listening can get in touch and how they can get involved. It's womenforelection.ie. Um, and I suppose when everything dies down after the election, you'll be encouraging more women to come and get involved too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, while the election has been called, our training programme is still going on. Yeah. Um, it's, it's scaled back, obviously, during yeah. the election campaign. But once it's over, we'll be picking up again. Um, and trying to, to encourage more women to run. So I suppose the thing I would say is if if anyone knows a woman who should be in politics or who would be good in politics, ask her to run. Yeah. Uh, and that woman might be yourself. It's, ask it's her kind to run. of scary because I was actually just thinking there about, you know, when, when you explain it, it seems very accessible to, to run. But I've never in my entire life considered that. And I was literally just considering it there when you said that. And my initial reaction was flight. <laughs> like as yeah. in, that's well, scary to even comprehend to that. Run, yeah. And then ask her again. Yeah. Um, because the usual, usually the, the first reaction is no. Yeah. Uh, so ask her to run and ask her again. Mm. Um, because all the research shows, it's, it's not just the women speaking at our training, all the research shows, and I was actually reading an article this morning from the US that was saying the same thing there, that you need to ask a woman more than once. Yeah. Uh, so ask a woman to run and ask her again. Okay, that's great advice. Please don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> the lads back there, they'll ask me now twice and then, and then we'll all be done for. Um, Kieran Debouche, thank you so much for, for coming in. We really Thanks, appreciate it. Thank you. So that is it. That is our election special. Thank you so much for everybody who asked for this uh, episode to be made. Thank you to Ellen Coyne and of course to Kieran Debouche as well. Don't forget to get out and vote. It is very important and we will talk to you next week. Bye.